Hi friends, I'm Tim Viegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Think Inclusive, our podcast that brings you conversations about inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. This week, I'm recording from my hotel room at the TASH conference in Baltimore, Maryland. MCIE will be presenting on a number of topics, like collaborative relationships being the key to membership and learning, leading and sustaining inclusive systems change, using learner planning tools to support membership, participation, and learning, as well as diving deep into IDEA and how the intent of the law is inclusion. If you are around at the TASH conference, make sure to say hi and let us know what you think of our podcast and other resources. This week's guest is Lori Miranda, an advocate for inclusive education and the director of Pre-K Exceptional Student Education in Palm Beach County, Florida. She has been instrumental in implementing inclusive practices for young children with disabilities in the county's school district, Head Start programs, and communities. For this episode, Lori discusses the importance of inclusive education for students with disabilities in Palm Beach County. She explains that the traditional model of removing students from their natural environments and sending them to separate special education programs was disruptive and limited their opportunities for socialization and learning. To address this issue, Palm Beach County implemented a collaborative approach, partnering with community centers and Head Start programs to provide inclusive education for young learners with disabilities. Lori highlights the challenges they faced in implementing this model, including concerns about behavior management, funding, and even teacher buy-in. However, through extensive training, relationship building, and a commitment to putting children and families first, they were able to overcome these barriers and create a successful inclusive program. This week's episode is brought to you by the Early Childhood Technical Assistance Center and the Frank Porter Graham Child Development Institute, and is the second episode in a collaboration between the ECTA and the Think Inclusive podcast on early childhood inclusive practices. After a quick break, we will have Janie Kozlowski and Katasha Williams back on the pod to preview my interview with Lori Miranda. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Danny Kazowski and Katasha Williams, uh, welcome back to the Think Inclusive podcast. Thanks for having us, Tim. Good to be with you. Good to be back. Last time you were on, we previewed the interview with Valerie Williams. This time we have a fantastic interview with Lori Miranda. So why should our listeners be excited about our conversation with Lori? Well, I mean, you know, I think... We started out with hearing from our our federal leadership, and now I'm excited that we get to hear from a local um, leader who is making it work on behalf of children and families. You know, I I was so inspired by Lori's story and the fact that she saw an issue in her community, in her school. She worked with her partners in Head Start to figure out solutions. And together, they came up with some strategies that that really work for kids and families. And so it's kind of like starting with the message from the top. And now we're hearing from the message from another part of the top, you know, at the community level. So I'm super excited to hear from Lori and, and learn about what she's doing down in Florida. Yeah, I agree, Janie. With this local level approach, I think these strategies are something that we can all glean from, no matter the context. We know that states and systems find themselves in different contexts, and often it's like, oh, that can happen there, but it can't happen here. The partnerships, we can't do the work without it, and finding the solutions. You know, in our center, we have a colleague that reminds us not to admire problems, and this is a perfect example of that, and a solutions based and oriented. So I'm excited that we get to share this. So Janie and Katasha, what can we expect going forward? You know, we had our interview with uh, Valerie Williams and we're having our interview with Lori Miranda, uh, but we're not done with this early childhood series and this partnership with ECTA. So what can we expect going forward? Yeah, so lots more coming. There will be stories from states, communities, also examples of inclusion in preschool, but it's not limited to that. There's also early intervention that we know experiences and faces some unique issues. We'll also hear about ECE inclusion. And when we talk about that, it's the full scope, you know, uh, funding, community-based settings, state regulatory issues. Uh, we really are going to have an opportunity to dig deep and, and share with you the stories, the learnings that others have experienced. That's just a couple things um, that are on my mind about what we can expect moving forward. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. I think there's a lot that we have learned, you know, in this work at ECTA and with the inclusion team that the rest of the world and the other fellow inclusionists, as you call them, Tim, um, need to know about. And I'm excited to be able to lift up those stories and, and the data around preschool and early intervention, inclusion and early intervention what that means, what that looks like. And I'm also excited that we do have an opportunity to share some of the great work 
at ECTA and hopeful that our leaders, Christina Kasperzak and Megan Vinn, will be willing to come on and um, join us for an episode to share a little bit about the full scope of what we do at ECTA. Thank you, Janie and Katasha. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Bye. When we return, my interview with Lori Miranda. And you'll hear me ask her about a video she produced at the beginning of our conversation. We'll make sure to link that in the show notes. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Lori Miranda, welcome to the Think Inclusive podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, So let's talk about the video because I did see the video. Janet Kozlowski from ECTA sent me the video of Palm Beach County School District about moving towards inclusive placements for students with disabilities. So tell me about that. How did, like, why did you make the video in, in the first place? What was the purpose of that? I made the video because we were building an inclusive practice here in Palm Beach County between the school district, Head Start, and some community partners. And there was a statewide conference, and they were looking for school districts that had some kind of collaboration going on for inclusion for young children with uh, disabilities. And we were doing that. They asked for three to five minute video. And so when I started recording and thinking about what I wanted to spotlight, my recording was actually closer to 17 to 20 minutes long. And I really did not want to edit it because everybody that was interviewed and talking about our program really plays a vital role in the whole process and um, and programming. So I really chose to not edit the recording. And then when they saw the recording, then they said, oh, you know, we see why you really did not want to and could not just use three to five minutes to talk about what you're doing there in Palm Beach County. Mm-hmm. And that's how the video came to be. So what, but besides, you know, that you were moving towards inclusion, 
uh, for, for young learners with disabilities. Um, like, why was that important in the first place? It started a long time ago. I had a childcare center myself. I was the owner operator and I had young children that got on a school bus and went somewhere to a school district school for a few hours and came back and it was very disruptive. And I even, I I was, I'm a school teacher by trade, but I really did not have a full understanding of where they were going, what was happening. There was not much communication back and forth. And the parent really did, the parents didn't know what was happening. So I sold the center, I moved on. And then when I took this position, I realized that I was having those same concerns now from looking from a different lens. So I literally followed a school bus to see where these children were going and coming, coming and going from. And when I saw that, I just wasn't comfortable with that. There was a lot of children missing opportunities to be with their peers. They were missing instruction. Uh, It was a disruption to their day. And I realized that there were a lot of adults in the room who were probably making decisions that were not necessarily in the best interest of the children. And so when I took this position, I came on board um, with the intent to start thinking about some kind of opportunity. And luckily, my boss, who is still my director, has young children. And so when I explained what I wanted to do, he said it was a no-brainer. We'll try it and see how it goes. So seven years later, we're starting our seventh year, and we've got an amazing program going on here in Palm Beach County. And and so the the, the main concern was that these learners weren't being educated in their home, like, or neighborhood schools, right? Correct. We were removing them from their natural environments where they were spending the majority of their days to come into a school district um, for a couple of hours, which was disrupting their whole routine back in their natural environment. It's not appropriate for all children. Some children have more needs than um, the child care providers can provide. So we have that open door policy and those relationships. It, it took a long time to build relationships and trust in the community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you, it, it would be a big shock if you tried to like have everyone um, all back at the same time. Right. Correct. Um, building the relationships took a long time and we really were not going forward with that if we didn't have the buy-in of the teaching staff. We spent a lot of time training and trusting so that teachers would feel comfortable and empowered by having our pre-K special education teachers come into their classrooms without judgment, um, without expectation, and just meet them where they are to help build capacity to do some modeling and it's going really well so the so uh, like um this model is different right than than your than uh, how typically services are delivered um so for instance 
how it previously was done in Palm Beach County and in maybe even in, in districts, you know, around Florida and around the country, um, you have a learner, a young learner in a, in a early childhood center, right. And they have some particular, uh, needs based on, you know, based on whatever the school, whatever their their team has decided that, um, through assessments, through evaluations, they're saying that they need these particular kinds of services. Um, and how it used to be was, or, um, how a lot of, a lot of districts or, and, and centers run is that that learner can no longer be in that environment. They have to go somewhere else to receive the services, right? Correct. But for what Palm Beach County is doing, you're saying we have all of these, this expertise, uh, rather than having the learner go somewhere else to receive those services, they're receiving those services now, um, where they originally were, uh, where in their natural environment, like you said, correct. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So we have teachers, we started with one just to pilot and see how it would be received. We started with one teacher and five centers and, um, because of the nature of the relationships and the buy-in that we needed from the center staff, um, we would go to some centers, but not all teachers Mm -hmm. and not all students who were evaluated. um, We may have felt like they would have been okay, but if the center staff didn't feel confident or comfortable, then we incur- talk with the parents at the meetings and set, have this open door policy. We're going to start at the school district with the idea that the end goal being the child goes back and receives their services there. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a very solid open door policy in relationship with each and every center because we need, we're not there all day, every day. So we need to be able to have the classroom teacher at the center feel confident and comfortable to be able to support that student when we are not there. So a lot of the time we do do direct instruction. We are supporting the IEPs and providing those direct services, but we're also coaching and mentoring those those teachers in the center so that they can do what we're doing when we're not there all day long. So then the child is successful. Right. Right. Uh, Did you said that it's been a process, but what kind of, what kind of concerns did the center staff have with um, initially when when you started moving towards this model? um, What were the kinds of things that were, that were brought up uh, as potential barriers? We absolutely had a long laundry list of potential barriers. One being that the behaviors or the needs were too great for the central staff to be able to um, maintain and, and provide solid instruction. Uh, funding was another one. Um, just buy-in altogether, teaching staff feeling confident and comfortable in their own skill set. And being willing to learn, some s- teachers felt like they weren't paid enough to be able to have the you know, these children in their mm-hmm. classrooms. Yeah. 
So we really took a lot of time to train and be face-to-face and do a lot of training and team building and having teachers feel comfortable and confident to have our classroom teachers in their classrooms um, so that they became colleagues and co-workers and not feeling judged, you know, to, to see our teaching staff as a resource. So we did spend a lot of time, like I said, we didn't just jump right in. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Let's try it. It didn't work like that. And we had, we did have some centers that said, no, thank you. You know, don't call me. I'll call you. (laughs) And you know what though? They're calling now. Right. They're calling. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good feeling because, and things may have looked a little bit differently if we hadn't gone through COVID, but Mm. we're seeing a different profile of children coming into our communities and into our schools, into our BPK classrooms. Um, And I think we're all learning from each other because the brain's wired a little bit differently during COVID because of the lack of exposure to others. And yeah. And so we're all learning. Uh, You mentioned an acronym BPK. VPK. I'm sorry. Voluntary pre-kindergarten, which is our state funded program um, for four-year-olds going to kindergarten. So there's no requirement other than to be four and a resident of the state of Florida. So our children who have turning four going to kindergarten next year can come into this program for free. And so these are our children that are coming in. This is the year that our children that were, you know, our COVID kiddos, basically, they've been home for two to three years. And now their, you know, parents are wanting to put them into these programs to get, make sure they're ready for kindergarten. And now they're coming from being home into a classroom of 15 to 20 with all of these expectations and we're seeing all kinds of challenging behavior. So we're working together. So, so the, uh, the VPK are those um, also included in the centers or are they on the schools in the County? They are everywhere. Anyone can be a provider. We have faith-based, we have our childcare mm, centers, okay. we have our public schools. And so you're, and so if they're, I guess, within the, your county, you also you also support those programs as well, right? We do. Um, my program and my staff support children who are already identified with IEPs. They've already been mm. evaluated. Um, that said, we have a thousand or more on the wait list for evaluation. So we go where the request is, um, hoping to build more partnerships. Um, we're out in the community. We're out in classrooms that are, we try to support wherever we can. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so a, a center or a school would, would really have to request your services. Is that right? We have agreements that, um, the partnership the partnership that we have continues to grow and i say partnership we actually have a collaborative agreement that has been signed by our school board and the agency that we're partnering with mm, okay so we really need to have that so that our board approves us to be on outside agency campuses mm, i see i mm-hmm. see um 
that uh, that's going to get complicated. (laughs) (laughs) It it is growing, and you know we're troubleshooting all the time because we know that there are a lot of centers out there, and we all know that early childhood has a critical shortage of workforce. So we have more children coming in, more children with needs, and less of a workforce. So what do we do with that? Yeah, yeah. What what do you think would make your job easier? Like, well, let's say you could wave a magic wand. and. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I could wave a magic wand, I would ask for higher pay for... All teachers, that's my soapbox. Um, We need to make sure that our teachers don't have to work two and three jobs or can make more money, Mm -hmm. you know, where there's less impact. Yeah. Um, So so that's, I think that's huge why we don't have enough teaching staff. And then being able to, I think if teachers were paid more, we could have lower staff ratios. The state of Florida in our pre-K programs does not have a cap. So Hmm. we can have 15, 20 children in a classroom, all on the spectrum. They're nonverbal. We have very challenging behavior, but the state does not cap that. The four-year-old program, the voluntary pre-kindergarten is capped, but we are not. So in order to provide early intervention, we really need to have smaller programs. Yeah. Yes. That's a big barrier for us. That's a big barrier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know I, I was, I've interviewed, um, a few different people in in other States. Um, and Maryland is coming to mind just because I, you know, um, there's a district up there, um, I don't think they quite have the same uh, partnerships with outside agencies or centers, but um, there is, there is more of a cap there with the, with three-year-olds and four-year-olds, like three-year-olds is much, a much lower ratio. Um, but In our you community know, programs, uh-huh. we do, the health department does have um, ratios, but in our school district programs, we don't have a ratio. I wonder why they, isn't the same. It is not because it's not, um, the health department does not govern us. There's, there's no accountability for anything like that. We follow, uh, we're on school campuses. So our school campus and our school district policies govern us. So there is no cap by the state of Florida for special education classrooms. We, Palm Beach County, has an internal allocation that we try to abide by. Sure. Uh, Are the, so are the classrooms that are on the, the uh, classrooms in, on the county campuses, um, are those inclusive as well, or are they special education classrooms? The like with only learners with disabilities. Yes, that's a, it's a good question. Um, and I'm completely transparent. The majority of our programs on our school campuses are not inclusive. We have so many children with special needs that there's no room 
um, to make them inclusive, to bring in other children as peers. So it's our voluntary pre-kindergarten class is inclusive, but the self-contained classrooms far outweigh the number mm. of inclusive classrooms we have on campus, which is why it's such a win-win for our children to be able to stay in their natural environments and for the adults to go to them. Right, right. And is that just, is that more of like a funding issue because the way things are funded? So, you know, for instance, the three-year-old program is, those are special education dollars. So, so then learners with, learners who are, you know, that don't have a disability or that are typically developing, they wouldn't go to a three-year-old classroom in a, on a school, in a school district. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Correct. There, I think we have one school, one or two schools may have a three-year-old program typically for staff, for, for staff. Sure, yeah. That, that's a, an outlier. Um, our programs are self-contained. It's not that we don't want to be inclusive. We absolutely do. But our county is so big and we have so many families moving here that our space is limited. So pre-K programs, because the program is optional, we go wherever there's space on, on campus. Right. 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 And so we keep adding evaluation teams. We, when I started, I think we had eight diagnostic teams who were up to 15. So, and we still have a backlog because of families moving to Florida. Um, but we just don't have enough space on our school campuses. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the, one of the one of the barriers uh, for families, and I'm sure it's not, I mean, it's all over the country uh, regarding, you know, inclusive inclusive pre-K, um, is, and I'll give you a hypothetical hypothetical situation. Um, I used to i I was a special education teacher for 16 years um, in California and Georgia, and one of the roles that I had in my, in my last job, um, I served, uh, you know, K through 12 campuses. Uh, but part of my role is to go observe learners, uh, that were in like a four-year-old program. Um, typically they were in like a special needs, quote unquote, special needs pre-K program at one of our schools. And I would observe them and, report back to the team about, um, you know, the, a recommendation for kindergarten and, uh, none of the, the programs that I observed were inclusive. They were all special education only. Um, and a lot of times what happened, what would happen is families would go to IEPs, a transition IEP to kindergarten. And the IEP team, that the receiving school, like let's say it's a home school, um, would say, well, this learner has been in a special education pre-K program, so they should go to the self-contained classroom in kindergarten. Um, but but the, the learner didn't have any other option to be uh, anywhere else except a special education pre-K program. So with your VPK 
uh, classrooms being inclusive, do you see a difference when families and learners are able to transition from that environment to kindergarten to more inclusive environments? Do you see any sort of connection there? There's definitely a connection. And this year, we are expecting some good solid data. Uh, We were disrupted because of COVID. So we're just now getting back to being able to collect some really good data. But so the beauty of having this partnership with our community partners is the goal is always general education kindergarten. So when we our students who may start in our self-contained programs, that's not necessarily where they finish. Mm -hmm. So we're very fluid and we try to move them into VPK inclusion. We call it, me, I call it the, the, the soft transition to kindergarten because now we are moving those VPK classrooms have um, a larger student ratio. Um, so it sort of models that kindergarten. So um, what we were finding is that a lot of our students who were in those self-contained programs for two, sometimes even three years, they're in that smaller setting. And then they go to gen ed kindergarten because we want to give them that opportunity. The team might feel like that student is ready, but now all of a sudden they're in a classroom of 20 and they've not had that opportunity to be exposed prior to. Right, right. So they're kind of behind the eight ball that way. So that's why we just um, love our community partners because they're open to taking our students. And um, so it's, we have that soft transition because our staff is in that room supporting and providing that extra support um, while they're in this gen ed setting. So it's really working well. I'm expecting to have some very good data this year. What we do know is that our children who are in our community settings, every one of them, 100%, go to gen ed kindergarten and are doing fine. Some may need a little bit of support. They may need some support facilitation, but 100% are in a gen ed kindergarten class. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And same thing with our VPK inclusion classrooms. 100% are in a gen ed kindergarten class. Yeah. 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 It seems like a, you know, a more, it mean, it seems like a natural transition, right? If you have those uh, settings available, then you're more likely um, to, to have those inclusive placements when they get to kindergarten. So um, have you seen uh, this model be uh, influencing other districts or is the model being replicated anywhere in Florida or beyond? I really can't speak to that too much. Um, I think we are somewhat unique because we have the agreements to send a teacher out to the community sites. I th- Palm Beach County used to send speech and language pathologists. So, you know, for our children who had minor speech and language, we did have that program model. Um, it was what made the difference was when we started adding a teacher. Hmm. So I really don't know. Um, some school districts have Head Start in their school district. They are the grantee. 
we do not. So Lutheran Services Florida is the grantee for Head Start. We do have some Head Start campuses, some Head Start classrooms on our campuses, but the majority are outside in the community. Um, so I think that's what made the difference was adding the teacher. Yeah. Because yeah, now we can have children out there who have more than speech and language. We have our social emotional goals. We have independent functioning. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking about my, my own community and, um, and the learners that would go or just even my own kids, right. You know, that, that went to, that went to, they didn't go to pre-K on a school campus. They went to pre-K, you know, at mm-hmm. a, a community center or, you sure. know, um, and what difference that would have made, um, if, if services were brought to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it feels like a very unique way to, to kind of solve this issue. We also have a critical shortage of bus drivers. So mm. some of our children are on the bus for a, a ridiculous amount of time. It's, it's not appropriate. So, and, and parents don't want to put their little children on a bus. I, I completely get that, but it's not an option for some parents. Sure. So if it is an option, then we absolutely want to capitalize on that. Right, right. I know one of the questions that I get asked a lot is about the funding. How do we fund this? Mm-hmm. And the answer is that we, we took a leap of faith the first year um, by, by allocating a teacher to be able to do this. Um, now, now it funds itself because it is the FTE money that is generating our teachers. We started with, I think, seven students. We're up to over 100 now in the community. Wow. Wow. So we've doubled our staff to be able to do that. And due to the nature of circumstance, we will probably continue to increase simply because we have such a backlog of students most of them are out in the community somewhere in childcare centers. What's also new this year, which is super exciting, is that uh, we've added two diagnostic teams to our pre-K team, which means that the families don't have to leave their center to be evaluated. The disability coordinators out in the community send the referrals directly to my team we schedule the evaluations. We go to the center to do the evaluations. We hold the IEP meetings at the center. Um, we do annual IEPs. We do transition IEPs at the center, which is most comfortable for the families and convenient for the families too. Right. So we're very excited about that because it does take a long time to get through that child find process. But because of our agreement and because Palm Beach County truly values the work that we're doing in preparation for you know, the children that are coming into our kindergarten programs, let's expedite these evaluations and get them served as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought up funding because 
It, so is it, I'm probably going to get this wrong. Um, there, there's, uh, there's part B, which is K through 12, right? The IDEA uh, funding part B. And then there's part C. Is that, that's pre-K? Part C is early steps or the birth to two system is part okay. C. And B is everything forward. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's, it is all the same sort of thing because a, a lot of times you have, um, maybe I'm not answering. I, I don't think I'm asking the right question. Let, let me, let me back up. Um, so the, your department, um, is it, is it all together? Like pre-K through 12 in Palm Beach County or are the pre-K and K through 12 separate? Pre-K special education falls under the exceptional student education department. So pre-K ESC is under, so it is pre-K to 22 okay. or in the ESC department. Then we have an early childhood department. It's different. I know Different counties, different states do it differently. In Palm sure. Beach County, we have an early childhood department who we work very closely with. That's where our Head Start and our voluntary pre-kindergarten programs lie okay. there. Um, our pre-K programs are on elementary school campuses. Does that make sense? Yep. yep. We have diagnostic teams who facilitate that Part C transition at three into part B, which is our school district. So we have teams that work with the part C teams to help transition families from the part C to part B. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It makes <laughs> sense. It's, it's, it's super, it mean, it can be very confusing. <laughs> if you don't live it, it is confusing. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Cause you're like, well, why can't you just do this. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. no. <laughs> and why doesn't P B come before C? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is a great question. Yeah. It is a great question. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um uh what else um what else would you want? So a lot of educators listen to you know this this podcast uh and a lot of school leaders. So as as people are listening to our conversation um, and you're thinking about, you know, who might be, who might, who might be listening. Uh, is there anything else that's on top of mind that you want to share about what's going on in Palm Beach County? I would say, um, whether you're a large county, a small county, a large state, a small state, I think when you put children and families first, Anything is possible. Um, nine times out of ten, it's the adults who are the barriers in the room. And we were just very, very fortunate to have the right people at the right time in the right seats to have these conversations. And it does take um, buy-in from the people who are on the ground implementing it, it won't go well, and we learned this. There's been a lot of learning for us along the way, but it does not go well when you have people making decisions who are not boots on the ground, who 
are not representative of the community that they serve. And that's been huge for us. Our pre-K team is very diverse. We look like the community we serve. We speak the language that the, of the community we serve. We live in the communities we serve. And I think if I had one takeaway, it would be that, to just be mindful of the communities that you serve. Stay tuned for the mystery question right after this break. The question is, when you're feeling sick, what makes you feel better? Cookie dough. <laughs> cookie, you're, you're, a, you're a raw cookie dough eater? I am. I am. <laughs> my, my wife does that too. Uh, <laughs> I go right to the store, go get it from the grocery store. It's open before I even get to my car. Oh my gosh. How funny. Oh, that's great. <laughs> That's great. You're like, uh, you, you pay no attention to the warnings, right? So. No, no, because, you know, sometimes the adults in the room, they're the barriers. So I'm a risk taker sometimes. Cookie dough, cookie dough. Everything uh, in moderation. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Gosh, what do I, um, well, yeah, you talked about food. Um, so, I really, I don't know if this is exactly something I eat when I'm sick, but a comfort food for me is popcorn. Like, and I don't, like I make my own popcorn. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was, gosh, it's, it's been over a decade now, but um, somebody, I don't even remember who, my family, well, my family, you know, we used to get like the microwave popcorn. And which was good, you know, I guess. Uh, but then somebody showed me how to how to make popcorn, like on the stove with mm-hmm. the big kettle, and mm-hmm. you know, you put, you put the oil and you put the yeah. And so ever since that point, I'm like, I cannot get enough popcorn, and I like make my popcorn. And so every so every so often, I'll be like, it's time to make popcorn, y'all. It's time to make popcorn, <laughs> and they're just like roll my they roll their eyes because like dad's making popcorn. <laughs> that is Sometimes. so much healthier than my response. And I, and unlike you, I don't share. <laughs> well, I do put a lot of butter and salt on it. So, you know, there is that. <laughs> okay. Right. We'll give you that. Okay. Okay. That's good. Lori Miranda, thank you so much for being on the Think Inclusive podcast. Thank you so much for having me. For more information about inclusive education or to learn how you can partner with MCIE on school transformation or professional learning opportunities, visit mcie.org. Thanks again to the ECTA for their collaboration on this episode. Love Think Inclusive? Here are a few ways to let us know. Rate us on Spotify or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Become a patron like these fine people and get extra stuff. Thank you to Aaron P., Jarrett T., Joyner A., Kathy B., Mark C., Gabby M., and Kathleen T. 
we appreciate your continued support of Think Inclusive. For our bonus episode this week, I'm posting the audio of a TASH talk I did a few years ago when the TASH conference was completely virtual. Check it out. Think Inclusive is written, edited, designed, mixed, and mastered by me, Tim Villegas. Original music by Miles Kredich. Additional music from Melody. Thanks for your time and attention. And remember, inclusion always works. How long have you known Jenny? Um, not very, like, I don't really know her well. She yeah. saw a video that I had produced at a conference and then she contacted me and we started chatting. Okay. Yes, I did see that video. Um, Can you just use that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. From MCIE. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.